Today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to Today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. You know, I think one of the real learnings of our discussion today is the role of OSHA, because I doubt if most employers even think about OSHA when it comes to workplace violence. So how does OSHA deal with employers who are repeat offenders or that are reported by workers as allegedly not enforcing the prevention of workplace violence? Well, OSHA doesn't want to pounce down on employers. So through their enforcement system and their enforcement rules and regulations, they trained their enforcement individuals to handle these complaints professionally. By that, I mean, give the employer the benefit of the doubt of informing the employer of the existence of an allegation of a complaint. Give the employer the opportunity to resolve that with all the information at their disposal so that they can at least give him or her an opportunity to rectify those issues. If those perpetuation of those incidents continue and the employer doesn't resolve those issues and more complaints come in, OSHA can handle that one of two ways. They could do unannounced inspection specifically to address those particular complaints and issues, or they can once again appear on the uh, employer's uh, doorfront and confront him on these allegations and do their piece of the enforcement issue, which involves corroborating the existence of the complaint through their own capabilities, doing the investigation, conducting their inquiries, and then going back to their offices and then issuing their findings and where applicable issue citations. But it isn't done in the vacuum because a smart organization that is aware of OSHA's commitment to workplace safety, as any other sort of health and safety situation that they're responsible for, gives management an opportunity to discuss this like men and women so that it never elevates to a point of citation. It is those organizations who are irresponsible and arrogant towards the findings that decide not to do anything, who ultimately get cited by OSHA for failing to render or repair those cited situations. So are you saying that the workplace violence prevention overall is a process that should begin with encouraging the employer to publish an issue, a workplace violence prevention policy that involves management commitment, employee involvement in creating a safe and secure workplace? 
No so doubt. Does, yeah. Does OSHA have a position regarding that? Yes, it does. And, and, and no doubt it has a responsibility. And one way of beginning that responsibility, even for small organizations and even for mid-sized organizations, is to incorporate that within your new employee orientation. Right from the beginning, create that positive culture in the hearts and minds of your new employee of what it is and refer them to the handbook where hopefully it's cited in the handbook so that the employee knows what to do when he sees or he or she hears something and how to manage their, their own behavior and, and how reporting goes and what to expect. But yes, OSHA, in their desires to be cooperative and provide employers with as much information as possible, lays it down so that even I could understand it. A, B, C, D, policy, train to the policy, support the policy, develop a plan, develop a program to support the plan, train the people in the policy, the plans and the procedures, uh, remind the supervisors of their responsibilities, remind the workforce of reporting, establish a way of tracking and monitoring. Therein lies another challenge for the HR community. Tracking and monitoring is something they have to overcome. We're not saying to surveil people. We're saying that once you get a complaint from someone and it's documented, do all you can within your powers to manage that, monitor and track that. And if you get to a point where Felix is identified as definitely being contributory to hostility in the workplace to confront Felix. But at the same token, you have to let Felix know who his accusers are. And is that environment conducive to creating that kind of relationship where all of the entities accept their roles and responsibilities and are willing to be part of this massive effort to corroborate and stand behind the allegations? It's difficult, which is why I always talk about the mindset. The mindset isn't just publishing the policy. The mindset is understanding the huge commitment that one makes to creating a safe and secure workplace. It's more psychological than it is physical. You've got to demonstrate to the workforce that you care about them. In my examples in the past, you can't encounter a female coming out of a ladies' room as a supervisor or a manager who works in your area of responsibility, and then you beat her down psychologically because she's supposed to be working. Only to find out that the female coworker that walks out of the door behind her is her best friend who says, you're an idiot. She just told me that her husband beats her every single day and she has to sneak out of the house in order to come to work. And she was crying and you didn't even notice it. So it at least wants you to understand that if you don't want to do it for me, do it for the negative publicity that your business is going to get when we publish the citation. Do it for the caring concern you have for your workforce. And lastly, Mr. or Miss Employer, do it for the fact that when you're on the witness stand, you're going to lie because you don't have anything in place and you're going to come up with a hem and horning excuses that you're going to find justifying and rationalizing and the jury is going to see right through it. <laughs> so in terms of a process, how would you advise and consult with an employer interested in implementing or managing their workplace violence prevention policy or program. And Mr. Nader, I'd like you to think about two of your clients that you've worked with in very different sectors. You know, let's say one was manufacturing and one was a software development company, but two very different sectors. Describe for us how you have gone about working with those employers. So I had a response that I was going to give, but I like the, the latitude you've given me in creating this response. So I'll give you an example. 
an international service providing company based out of Atlanta, that's that's all I can give, approached me and said, we've got footprint all over the United States and we've got a footprint overseas. It's impossible to hire someone to be able to do on-site training. And we're looking for something that would allow us to build trust, confidence, and credibility with the for- workforce. And we want to make it our own. I will tell you before you come into this meeting, Mr. Nader, that I'm speaking to the vice president of operations, that there is resentment and pushback to spending any money. They would prefer going and buying an off-the-shelf DVD and sending it out to all of the sites and then mandating that all of the sites sit their employees down and go through this training. And some have even suggested computer-based training, generic computer-based training. But in following you, we're getting the impression that you have a greater overreaching consultation that you may want to offer us regarding best approaches. So would you like to meet with us? So I met with them and, and here's the outcome. Huge uh, selection and array of team members of the C-suite sat around in this room trying to convince us and convince the vice president mm-hmm. that the kind of money that would be envisioned to be necessary to come up with a unique training approach is cost prohibitive. And that any discussion regarding spending that kind of money versus buying something off the shelf is off the table. We're not going to have any discussion. So I look at the security director and I look at the vice president and I said, can I uh, offer my two cents? And I said, ladies and gentlemen, here's the way I look at the services that I offer. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So you pay me now, or you could pay someone after a major event a whole lot more than what I'm going to suggest to you. Mm-hmm. And a suggestion that would be of a wholesome approach that would accomplish all the things you want to accomplish is to invest in your organization through your workforce by creating a customized approach that is branded using your company logo, your company communication style, your colors, your vernacular, and reduce the content that is specific to your employees' work sites, including employees that can be seen in the content so that there's a connection with them. I will submit to you that by showing that kind of interest and investment in them corroborates your commitment to safety and security, not just talk. I know that's easy for you to spend $1,000 versus spending $50,000. But $1,000, if something goes wrong, will have an employee take the witness stand and say this, I did not attend that training because it's boring and it doesn't talk to me. So I chose not to attend versus having an employee that takes training who says, my God, they're talking to me. I understand the content. They're relating the content to me. That's my warehouse. That's my situation. That's my scenario. I'll leave the rest to you and you can decide. A week later, I get a phone call and they went with the -the off-the-shelf design and development of a training program that today they extol the content and the employees enjoy the quality because it relates to them. So sometimes in consultations, you have to be willing to take risks. It's not about gaining the project. It's about gaining the trust and confidence in the prospective client to know you're going to give them what they don't want to hear for the right reason. Example number two, a large pharmaceutical company out of uh, New Jersey. That's all I'm going to say. There's many large pharmaceuticals. Lots of them there. <laughs> lots of them there. And I get approached by the vice president, another vice president, who says, we're concerned with the fact that we're going to release 1,100 senior members worldwide, and we have nothing in place for an active shooter. And we would like to consider your services, and we're looking at other folks as well, to provide us some guidance and direction 
and what will be the best approach to developing an active shooter program. So I engaged them in a discussion that sounds like this. Well, what do you have currently in place that will help you never to get to those kinds of thoughts that have you concerned about those 1,100 people? What does that look like? And how are those people being handled in terms of that separation process? Barbara, Belinda, they had a one-page workplace violence prevention policy that spoke to the employee prohibitive behaviors only that didn't go into the other three categories and nothing else had ever been done to address terminations, proper separations. I hate to use that word termination, proper separations and those difficult moments and decisions that senior management has to make when they get ready to separate employees, whether it's one or 1100. I pitched my suggested approach to the senior management team once again, and they pulled back and said, whoa, maybe we won't want to be reactive and go the full bore of the active shooter program right now. Let's let Mr. Nader come in and assess and evaluate what we have, and let's have him come in and make recommendations against what we have, and then we'll proceed to what we ultimately want with his guidance, support, and approval. And that was wholeheartedly embraced and accepted. So sometimes knowing that OSHA looms mildly in doing one thing, if nothing at all, publicizing your negligence via a press release gets the attention, gets the attention of senior managers who want to do the right thing, but had no idea that the right thing included senior management commitment and senior management investment, even though, Barbara and Belinda, it's specified in the OSHA guidance that one of the principles is senior management commitments and employee involvement. I hope that helps. Yeah, it helps a lot. And if you could tell me one more time what the four categories are. You gave some good examples of employee versus employer. I think you said an outside threat to the workplace. Which What two am I missing? So we have the criminal opportunistic individual. He's the one that victimizes the salesmen, the the nurses and doctors, the people Mm -hmm. that work alone or the opportunities that we create for that opportunistic criminal to take advantage of you. There's the patient and client relationships. And patients in the healthcare community, as you well know, uh, healthcare community suffers the highest incidence of non-fatal type of incidents in their workplaces. I have my opinions as to why that exists, but that's the second piece, the, the patients and client relationships. It's not unusual in a client relationship to have a vendor who's suddenly being told that they no longer want him on their property because of his caustic relationship and caustic interpersonal skills. And when he's told to leave, he takes out his vengeance on his the co-workers from the company. So it's not unusual for organizations to recognize that and to probably deal with it. And number three is the employee-on-employee threat of current employees or former employees. And oh, by the way, that's a serious consideration because if you don't handle that separation properly and you dehumanize and you the self-esteem, the individual, and take away all of his dignity at home when he starts realizing that all the things you promised him or her, extend the COBRA, extend the separation package, healthcare that would cover his family, and the amount of money he was supposed to be get all fall shy of your deliverables, who is he going to blame? He's going to blame somebody back at the workplace. So we got to make sure that that separation is honorable, is dignified, and everything you say you're going to offer that employee gets delivered. 
And then the fourth category I cited in the examples deal with personal relationships, either at work or intimate personal relationships from home that conflict or interrupt and interfere with the operation at work. We want to make sure that even though you might be teetering with violating people's rights, that you consult your attorney with verbiage and put it out on some form of notification that it's okay when an employee has a personal problem to report it to us, at least to HR, so we could be aware of and then properly guide you, counsel you. And if you need assistance, where to direct you for appropriate assistance. So those are four categories. That's very helpful. As we look at the workplace violence of today, post-pandemic, do you see any common examples of the hostile work environment relative to the traditional and hybrid environments? And how does it contribute to workplace violence? Robert, I think you're looking at my notes and it's not fair, mm-hmm. but I, I am very concerned that, and, I, and I'm making an assumption because I'm not in the hearts and minds of these leaders in these organizations. And so I don't know if they are and, and they're internalizing what they're doing. But if you keep treating your policies and your approaches to workplace violence prevention, the way we were treating it post or pre-COVID-19 and you're forgetting that we're dealing with people either via telephone or via a Zoom screen or some meeting technology that's out there. This is the tendency. The tendency is to forget that they are your employees and you become the Zoom bully or the telephone shocker. Mm. And the Zoom bully is a person that feels they have the right to, to say and do whatever they want to say because they're protected by that screen. Well, I had one employee tell me he was so dehumanized, is a better word, dehumanized by his supervisor that he felt like jumping through the doggone screen and choking him to death. That's what he told me on the phone. And it isn't a thought that people just conjure up because they feel good about doing it. It's a thought that's conjured up because these bullies, these Zoom bullies and these telephone shockers, I call them, I call them, feel they have the right to humiliate you, to intimidate you, to threaten you to insult you, to offend you because they have this screen. And oh, by the way, you're lucky to have a DAN job. You're lucky to have that hybrid position. Your butt should be here at work with everybody else. So don't give me any of that CRAP. You're gonna take what I take, what I give you, like it or leave it. So these employees who need their employment for their own personal sustenance are gonna take the abuse. But imagine that abuse escalating and envision a rubber band around my hand going to meetings and being subjected and being berated and being verbally abused, that rubber band is going to do what? And whether they wait until they get until they have a meeting and confront the individual or go to the individual's office that day and confront the individual, that's left up to the behavior of this person who creates this hostile environment. So I say, Mr. Employer, Ms. Employer, stop making assumptions that just because it hasn't happened at your place, it's not going to happen because these examples I've given to you has nothing to do with a criminal history background of predisposed behavior. These are your employees who are being subjected to this humiliating content, humiliating behavior that leaves them no option but to defend themselves, whether it's verbally or physically. You've got to do something about this. You've got to go back and reassess and evaluate where you were to where you are now and recognize that defiant behavior. Going forward, and politically speaking, you know why we're all defiant? Because I can, if I had a gun, I go on 42nd Street and I can shoot anybody and nothing would happen to me. 
Those are political statements made by our political leaders. How do you expect our employees who are told to do something that they don't want to do to react? I'm not doing that, and you can't do nothing to me because I'll sue you. Defiant behavior that can be managed by your leadership and your proper behavior. Based on the, you know, calls that you've received from, you know, companies seeking your service and or your current clients, do you think, do you get the idea that many of them recognize the difference now between what you might encounter in a traditional environment versus a virtual environment, a hype, what, because so many employers now are working, quote unquote, hybrid part-time at the office, part-time virtually? I would like to think that I'm not the only smart aleck in this business, that there are other people that are brighter and smarter than I am in the security industry that are, that are just as effective, if not more effective, who might be advisors or employee advisors to their C-suite that have been proactive all along, that have been making themselves available of the literature that's out there and being proactive and understanding that the composure and the composite of our organization will never, ever return to 2020 or 2021. That going forward, we we have a workplace that requires the true, true treating people with dignity and respect that you want so that you can get from those employees maximum performance and maximum efficiency. Because right now, even after the, and I go back to the uh, Chesapeake Bay, Walmart, even after that incident and the three or, three or so that followed afterwards, I get calls from people who want to remain anonymous, who refer to my articles and say things like, Mr. Nader, I don't go to the annual workplace violence prevention training because it's the same training I got the year before. Mr. Nader, my coworker did something that he wasn't supposed to do, but he is my son's godfather. You want me to drop a dime on my coworker? Mr. Nader, I know exactly what happened at the Walmart. I used to work at a store like that. And they're so abusive and so condescending that it's no wonder people's rubber bands pop as often as you say that they pop. So until senior management and stop pushing it down to a training person, stop pushing it down to the HR person and don't support that HR person. Mr. or Ms. CEO, you have to issue a document under your signature that goes out to your chain of command and all your organizations that clearly establishes your commitment and your investment to workplace violence prevention and lays out your principles in support of OSHA because it's good for the workplace and it's good for your business. Because making people feel insulted, offended, and afraid of going to a Zoom call or taking your boss's meeting is not the kind of person you want leading your workforce. No, I think we are beginning to understand your meaning of a comprehensive contributory and the consequences. What closing pearls of wisdom, what three things would you like to leave with our audience as they consider workplace violence and proactive approaches to preventing workplace violence? As I said earlier, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you're a Mr. Cutie Pie or a Miss Cutie Pie and say it's never happened here before, how prepared will you be when it happens and you're unprepared right now? Workplace violence prevention does not need to be complicated, but it must be communicated and supported by quality training. And quality training doesn't mean millions of dollars. It means taking an example from your files, protecting the innocent, and using it as a training medium that the workforce can relate to. 
Okay. And the third thing I want to say, and thank you, by the way, uh, Barbara and Belinda, for this opportunity. I'm a little unorthodox, but I am devoted and committed and passionate to preventing these things from escalating so unnecessarily and to listen to an employee when they say to you, I don't like going to that field site because every time I go to that field site to conduct an inspection, I get harassed and abused by the employees. And I know who's putting them up to. It's the restaurant owner or mm-hmm. it's the business owner. Mm-hmm. So the last thing that I leave you with, employers must create a hospitable work environment that promotes a culture. And this is my my leadership style of a tough, caring leadership responsibility that embraces everybody, no matter where they come from, so that they feel comfortable in coming to you and telling you their most intimate secrets. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Felix Nader, for giving us an update on a really important topic that I think, you know, gets pushed to the back burner all too often because there is a certain sense of comfort within organizations, but we're seeing a lot of violence around us. And so how it enters the workplace and what you do, you made it very clear, starts with first your sense of caring about employees and wanting to ensure that nothing happens and taking the proactive measures by having a policy and plan in, in place. And so thank you so much for the great information you shared with us today. And it's just been a wonderful discussion for today's workplace. Well, thank you very much. And I enjoyed myself very much. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Barbara, we wish you well. Thank you. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E.com.